Welcome to today's energy show. Today we'll be talking about cap and trade and its impact on California gas prices. So first, uh, lots of questions about what cap and trade is. This isn't a bunch of guys uh, trading baseball caps uh, uh, in the parking lot of an A's game. Cap and trade is a excellent approach to control greenhouse gas emissions. So basically, we want to minimize those emissions for obvious reasons because it creates global warming. And this is one of the good economic approaches. So here's how it works. There's a cap that the government sets on the, the emissions from major emission sources like transportation, industry, electric generation, et cetera. So, so the utilities or companies have a, a maximum amount of emissions that they can put into the environment. And usually when we're talking about these emissions, we're, we're specifically talking about carbon dioxide or CO2. It's just easier to count that, and that's the primary greenhouse gas in terms of harmful effects and, and volume. So there's a cap on the emissions, and then companies get allowances on the amount of CO2 that they can um, emit. So it's not like uh, they, they have to emit zero. They get an a, amount that they can emit. And if they emit more of these allowances, they can trade these allowances to other companies. So that's the trade part. And the trading creates a, a pretty vibrant, efficient market where the value of these allowances is, is, is theoretically set by um, the economic forces. Companies that have a lot get rid of them. As, as there are more of these allowances on the market, the value of the allowances go down. So that's the trade part. So cap and trade gives polluters, and, and we're all polluters, and we drive a car, we have a lawnmower, we're you know, turning on the lights, and that's all creating greenhouse gases, mostly. It gives polluters two ways to meet these goals. One way is to minimize the CO2 emissions. So cut back on your emissions, use an electric vehicle, install wind and solar, put scrubbers on smokestacks, um, create more efficient industrial processes that are going to actually use use uh, less uh, carbon fuels. So that's one, minimize the emissions. Or if you can't minimize the emissions or it's, it's not cost effective to minimize the emissions, you um, you generate more and then you have to buy these allowances to, to, to match what you're allowed to emit. And these allowances are what's on the market. So you're, you're, they're being traded and you buy them, and that's how you can kind of cut it back. So polluters either reduce their emissions or effectively, by buying allowances, they pay more for the emissions that they're kind of stuck putting into the environment. So if you're, say, a cement factory, it's not like that easy to move a cement factory. There's a lot of emissions there. Uh, do it, They'll do as much as they can to reduce their emissions with more efficient processes. But if they still emit too much, they have to buy allowances. And, and economically, it all kind of works out. So there's a big philosophical question about how we're going to regulate the, the major greenhouse gas CO2. Are we just going to let these emissions continue? Well, that's a bad result. That's a non-starter, um, at least as far as most people consider it. Um, global warming's here. It's getting worse. And um, we, we really do have to act. So that's not good. So we've got to do something. So what are we going to do? There's two ways to approach this. One is we can tax the CO2 emissions. And people say that's just basically a carbon tax. Well, you know, it's almost a lot of economists think that a straightforward carbon tax is the most economically efficient way to do this. Just put a tax on it. And it's easy to measure, and everybody that emits has to pay this tax. The tax goes to the government, and eventually it all kind of comes back to uh, consumers. The problem is that it's impossible, or almost impossible, to pass any kind of CO2 tax law. If you have the word tax in there, it's a non-starter. So the other way to do it, and, and this has been done successfully, is with a cap-and-trade program. Um, and this is the same approach that we used in the 90s in the Midwest to minimize the problems with acid rain. So, I, you know, if, if, if you're on the East Coast, you remember there was all these problems with power plants 
emitting sulfur dioxide and oxides of nitrogen into the air. These are, are, are chemicals that actually create acidic rain and that the acids would come down. And as more and more power plants got out there, there's more and more acid rain coming down. It was really negatively affecting the environment. Trees were dying. Animals were dying. Um, it, it was bad. And, and it was difficult to solve. And they put a cap and trade program in place. And it was very successful. It gradually throttled back the amount of emissions. And what did the power plants do? Well, they put in scrubbers. They eliminated the, the, the sulfur dioxide and the oxides of nitrogen. The automobile industry put in catalytic converters and really cut that back. So it really worked out well. So cap and trade is a pretty good way to do it. Now, now some people who are opposed to the whole concept of regulating CO2 call it cap and tax. Uh, but, but cap and trade has been accepted. It's, it's a worldwide process that, that people are using. And um, California, to the credit, in uh, 2006, passed something called AB32. And the, the, the geeks in the industry are always referring to cap and trade as AB32. That was the exact legislation that Governor Schwarzenegger and others um, put in place. Uh, the governor signed it in 2006. And basically, AB32, this cap-and-trade regulation in California, requires California to return to their levels of CO2 emissions that they had in 1990. So basically, you know, they want to, like, it's 2014 now. So we got to turn the clock back 14 years. And we have to achieve that goal, not instantly, but we have to achieve that goal in California by 2020. So uh, the way that's being done is every year there's a, there's a few percent that the emissions have to be reduced by all the polluters. And everybody's a polluter, so we just kind of get over that. So everybody's got to participate here. Um, And the state collects some money because the state sells these allowances to polluters. So we can kind of talk about what those numbers are going to be worth, but the state gives some allowances away and sells some others, and they collect some money. It's it's, it's still not clear, uh, strangely, what that money is going to be used for by the state. Um, But but um, that, that money does kind of come back to the government of California in some way. So cap and trade, very strong opposition from businesses that would be directly affected. Why? Because it's going to raise their costs. It's kind of inevitable. So um, the, there was a lot of politicking, positioning. There was a big battle that it was going to be a job killer. It was going to suck um, money out of the economy. It's going to drive companies out of California. And, and this was all kind of going on in 2005 and 2006. It was really kind of front page news. And what, what ended up happening is um, just over a lot of this opposition, it was, a, I believe, a very wise thing that the, um, the state put in place. And they passed the law. Okay, now we got to live with it. So you kind of look at what industry sectors are affected. Now, utilities are among the biggest emitters. We, we burn natural gas, creates the electricity, a lot of CO2 emission. But the, the utilities had already done a lot to cut their emissions. They put in wind, they put in solar. And, and so, strangely, there's not a lot of impact on utilities or electric rates. Um, and we can talk about that more later. But, in fact, many utilities, because they've already done so much... They, they have extra credits, and they can sell them, thereby, thereby further reducing electric rates. So um, electric rates don't really change, and we'll talk about the, that, uh, the, lucky, the lucky coincidence that happened with the utilities there. But, but um, industrial companies in California will get hit a little bit harder. And that's just kind of reality. They're, they're doing everything they can or as much as they can to reduce their emissions. So companies are putting um, CO2 scrubbers and trying to capture some of that carbon. They're trying to put more efficient industrial processes in place, you know, um, create more of their, their product 
by burning less uh, natural gas effectively. And, and they're doing everything they can there. And there's a lot of companies that are act- actively involved in helping manufacturers and industrial companies comply. So a lot of the, the green economy, a lot of the jobs related to um, cap and trade actually stays in, in California. And what's also interesting, you kind of look ahead, you talk about the green economy, uh, because we have, we're experiencing the problem here in California first. We've got a lot of the companies that have solutions as these problems are being solved elsewhere. The solutions that we develop here in California are going to be um, transferred and sold around the world. So it's, it's kind of good for the, the California economy in some ways. So that's what happens. But now, now let's take a look at the details of California's cap-and-trade program, um, or AB32. So it started, the program kicked in in 2013, so signed in 2006, kicked in in 2013 for electric utilities, and large industrial facilities. Not everybody, not, uh, not everywhere, you know, not for gas yet. And the specific regulations were that these industries, utilities and, and large industrial facilities, had to reduce their annual emissions by 2% in 2013 and 2% in 2014. So 2013 over, we cut it back by 2%. 2014, halfway through, we're cutting it back also. Next year, in 2015, the emissions have to be reduced by another 3%. I kind of do the math here and you can figure out how we can get back to the 1990 levels with two years of 2% cuts and six years of five of uh, 3% cuts. So um, that's the program. That's the law. Lots of um, bureaucracy and, and detailed regulations defining the rules and, and how you report your emissions and how they're verified. There's uh, an enforcement mechanism to make sure that that uh, companies are really reporting properly and and uh, either buying the allowances or or getting the proper number of allowances, and and that's kind of all a, a government bureaucracy that's going on in Sacramento. But there's also lots of private companies that are kind of chipping in because you've got an entire trading system for these allowances for these credits that are being sold and bought and sold on a market. And, and effectively what happens is um, if a company, let's say a utility, um, is below their emissions, so they're ahead of the game, they have extra allowances, they can sell those allowances. They can make money on it. And then the companies that are not achieving their the reduction goals are going to have to buy those allowances. And um, that's how that trading market works. So you've got companies that are buying and selling and trading these allowances. And there's a vibrant market. It's it's not perfect yet because it's still kind of at an early stage. We can kind of talk about um, what those values are right now. And it's pretty interesting because that's what has a direct impact on gas prices. So let's look at where these CO2 emissions are coming from in California. And, and I've got some numbers here from the California Air Resources Board, or CARB, that's the carburetor, that the emissions are coming from, you know, in order, 38% of the greenhouse gas emissions come from transportation. That's gas and diesel fuel that, that, that we're using to move our cars and trucks around the roads. Obviously, we got lots of roads here in California. Don't have a lot of public trans- transportation. So we use a lot of, uh, we generate a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, CO2, from transportation. The next biggest sector is 34%. That's energy production. And, and I kind of kind of look at that in two categories. One is electricity. So we burn Carb, uh, burn natural gas to generate electricity in our power plants. That's creating CO2. And we're also generating a lot of greenhouse gases from refining oil, those big refining operations that are scattered around the, the coast in California. Basically, crude oil comes in and then 
kerosene or diesel or gasoline or um, jet fuel kind of come out. And those refining processes also generate a lot of greenhouse gases. Other sectors that are that are uh, generating some some CO2, 13% from miscellaneous industries, 10% from manufacturing. So, you know, companies that are that are burning natural gas for their product like cement or or or, or other things like that. 5% from agriculture. I'd say that's probably mostly um, farmers that are just uh, using diesel to to move their um, to, you know, to, to plow the fields and to harvest their crops. And then it's kind of interesting, 2% from the dairy industry. I guess these are cow emissions. I don't know how they're going to count that. Not that it's that bad. Um, I don't know how much the price of milk is going to go up. But anyway, 2% from that. So so here's what's happening now in California. We got that breakdown. But what's happened? And uh, since this bill was passed in 2006, we, we've already had seven or eight years to prepare for it. So utilities have done a terrific job putting in wind and solar to reduce their emissions. Now, it's not because of the cap and trade. It's because California passed something called a renewable portfolio standard that required the utilities to to generate 30% of their power from renewable sources. So um, hydro, wind, solar, we've done a lot there. And so the utilities are kind of ahead of the game. Um, They also got some very big initial allowances. So it's like, here's some free credits that you can trade if you need them. Well, it turns out that they don't need the credits because they've done so much wind and solar. And now the utilities are basically many of them, not all of them. Many of them are able to say, hey, we've got these extra allowances, and they add up to some serious money. Um, that, that's actually going to help reduce rates uh, for many utilities, which is great. But then you have large industrial facilities like, I use the example of cement makers because it's so obvious, cement makers, refineries, they got a lot, a lot of allowances, but, but um, they've had a little bit of time to adjust, and now it's, the squeeze is really starting to happen. So we're in the second year of the program. 2014. So there's a 2% reduction. Next year, 2015, there has to be a 3% reduction. And in addition, that 3% reduction now hits the oil and gas industry. It hits refineries. And and that has an impact because um, the refineries, the gas companies, basically have to uh, find a way to um, meet these goals. And they, they've done a lot. It's not that easy to kind of um, reduce it even more. So they've been very, very much opposed to cap-and-trade from the get-go. They were the, the biggest promoters of anti-cap-and-trade advertisements and things like that in 2006. And they're stuck with it. They're still trying to get out of it, but they're not going to get out of it. So they've got to figure out what to do. So now let's see what happens to the the gas prices and also electric rates. So as far as electric rates, um, I don't think that the electric rates are going to change much at all because of cap-and-trade. Um, it, the electric rates are going to really change more, more because of just the growth in the economy and, and costs go up and, and maybe because of natural gas changes, but not because of cap-and-trade. But what will get hit is the, um, the transportation sector in 2015 because they're, they're going to have to um, sell fuels that have lower emissions, which they really can't do. I mean, we all want gasoline, and, and, um, or they're going to have to pay the allowances. Um, and, and so the reality is when you burn gasoline, it just generates a certain amount of CO2. Um, you, you really can't avoid it. It's a chemical thing. It's chemistry. You go back to chemistry class. When gas burns, it changes the gasoline, which is a hydrocarbon. It's hydrogen and carbon together into CO2 and water vapor. And so you, you burn the gasoline and you get some uh, CO2 gas coming off. You got water vapor coming off and you get a lot of heat. And the heat's what generates the, the energy for your engine. So just looking at some of the numbers, when a gallon of gasoline burns, you know, just kind of imagine one of those little red gallon tanks that you, that you get when you run out of gas. It's happened to me. 
it emits 0.009 tons of CO2. So do the math. It works out to be about 20 pounds of CO2. And I kind of looked at that and I said, that little, that little can of gasoline or, or plastic container gasoline only weighs about six pounds. Um, and how does it generate 20 pounds of CO2? You kind of scratched my head, but then I just kind of did a little bit of old chemistry math here, and, and, and um, it, it actually works out pretty well because the, um, the carbon in, the, in the, the gasoline, the hydrocarbon, goes into the CO2, but most of the weight of the CO2 is oxygen, and there's two, two molecules of oxygen. I think oxygen is like an uh, atomic weight of 16, so you've got um, much more weight of oxygen in CO2 than the weight of the carbon and the oxygen is coming from the air. So that's how you can kind of go from six pounds of gas to 20 pounds of CO2 because you're capturing oxygen in the air and you're turning into CO2. That's a bad thing. Um, trees can fix that, but it takes time and, and we're still creating global warming. So, so that's what happens when you burn gasoline. You can't escape the fact that you're generating CO2. It's, just, it's impossible. There's some things that we can do to kind of minimize it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So now what happens at the pump? Let's talk about in 2015, January 1st, 2015, when, when cap and trade hits these transportation fuels, what's going to happen? Well, <clears throat> you burn a gallon of gas, you emit 0.009 tons of CO2, and one allowance is one ton of CO2. So you're going to have to pay for 0.009 allowances. Now, the consumers, the people filling up their tank, they don't, you know, write a check for 0.009 allowances. Basically, what happens is that that charge is all done by the refiners. So the refiners who are actually refining the oil into gasoline are the ones that have to pay for these allowances. And then they're just going to pass these costs on. It's a cost of doing business. They're going to pass it on to the customer. So, so let's try and figure out how much that's going to affect the price of the pump. Well, um, it all depends on what the price of a CO2 allowance is. And since the CO2 allowance is, is valued based on a trading system, we really don't know exactly. The more allowances that are out there, the lower the price is going to be. The fewer allowances that are out there, the higher the price is going to be. So it kind of depends. Um, uh, but so, so the best indication from my standpoint, and kind of looking at it, it did a little bit of research and, and what people seem to think, is it's not going to change a heck of a lot. So right now, in California, the value of a CO2 allowance is $12. So, it's, it's, so you have to pay $12 per ton of CO2 emissions. So $12 times 0.009 tons per gallon is 11 cents. So it's like 11 cents for pure gas. California, most of the gas we have has 10% ethanol in it. So that just works out to be about a dime. So it's, it's going to raise the price at the pump in January of 2015, by about a dime. Um, not that big a deal. Now, if the allowances go up a lot, then obviously the the um, increase in the price of the pump is going to go up, and if the allowances go down, it'll go down. It's, it's really, really hard to figure out what's going to happen there. Uh, just from an economic standpoint, it's probably not going to fluctuate a tremendous amount on a long-term basis. So um, it's going to be in the range of a dime, maybe a little bit higher. Now, it's kind of interesting because then you say, all right, well, wh where does this money go? Right? We pay $0.10 cents more at the pump. The refiners have to pay $0.10 cents more to people who have excess allowances. And in many ways, these allowances end up going either to the state of California, who sells excess allowances, or directly to companies that have already done a really good job of reducing their emissions. So you kind of think about it. If, if you have a local utility that's got lots of wind and solar... Um, and they have excess allowances, um, they're going to sell these allowances to the refinery companies. And um, effectively what's going to happen is you pay 10 cents, a, 10 cents a gallon more at the pump, and you may pay less for electricity. So it kind of works out neutral. 
not, not that big a deal. So what's going to happen next year? Price of the pump is going to go up by about a dime. Um, and, and yet you know, the, nobody ever wants to see gasoline prices go up. There's, it's, a, it's a pretty dynamic market. But don't feel too bad because in many parts of the world, gas taxes are more like 4 or $5 a gallon. It's if, if you have a V8 engine and, and you're driving around in Europe, you need to take a loan out to fill up your tank. That's why almost nobody drives a V8 engine. Um, big, big cars in Europe, they're all tiny little cars. So it's not that big a deal compared to the rest of the places around the world. So what can we do long-term? Well, you know, the, the, what, what are some of the efforts that we can do as an economy, as a country, to reduce our, our costs of transportation fuels long-term? Well, there's a couple things we can do. One is we can support efforts for more fuel diversity. So we don't, don't be as dependent on oil and gas. So you've got electricity, um, electric cars. We're, we're generating a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of electric cars are getting power from solar and wind. There's a lot of natural gas. So that diversity helps a lot. And, and people who have natural gas-fueled cars really, really get a good deal. Um, obviously, supporting efforts for better fuel economy, driving a, a smaller car, driving an electric vehicle, driving an electric motorcycle, whatever, that's, that's going to save a lot. Um, and then the other one is, is um, a, kind of a contentious issue, but that's um, support efforts for more domestic fuel production. Most of that right now is oil production. And um, there's you know a lot of my friends are just adamant opposed to this. And, and I, I'd like to try and stay a little bit neutral on it. I, I don't like the fact that it creates more greenhouse gases, but um, it is helping uh, bridge us to a time five or 10 or 15 years from now when we've got lots more renewable fuels. So um, the, the, does the increase in oil and gas production in the U.S. from uh, fracking is, has been a boon in many ways because we're producing a lot more oil in the U.S. than we were before. And that's really good because we're not so dependent on buying oil from countries in the Middle East. I mean, that, that's kind of crazy because we're, we're spent sending billions, billions and billions of dollars to countries that really want to wipe us out. Um, so we're paying for their armies to, to, to attack us. So the more we're able to generate fuel here and become independent, the better. And it's interesting because I just look at what's happened over the last year or so that the, um, the, the price of oil hasn't been as volatile when you have these big events happening in the Middle East. Five years ago when there was a, a big war in the Middle East or you know, some blockade or missile goes off or whatever, the oil price would immediately go up because it's a commodity. It, it, it reacts very quickly. Um, now we're not seeing as much of that. And, and that's because the U.S. is, to a certain degree, a, a little less dependent on that foreign oil. And, and not only oil that we, we, we um, uh, get from the U.S., but we've got oil from other countries like Canada. So um, it, it, it's a problem that we're burning more fossil fuels. It's good in the sense that um, we might have a five to 15 year time frame when we've, we've got a little bit of a bridge to uh, a time when we've got lots more renewable fuels, uh, lots more solar, lots more wind, lots more um, uh, electric vehicles. So that's kind of what we're doing uh, um, kind of medium and long term. And I think we're doing a good job with that. It's, it's maybe to a certain degree lucky, but um, this oil boom is, is, uh, is good and it's giving us more time to get more wind and solar in place. The, the biggest mistake we could make is say, oh, hey, there's going to be this permanent increase in oil production and we don't need wind and solar. So, uh, but hopefully that's not going to happen. Also, the cap and trade things are, are really minimizing that. So what can we do short term? Well, you can um, remember just gas is pretty much the same everywhere. Get a car with better mileage, um, shop around for cheap gas or, or, you know, do as many people are doing now, which is buy an EV uh, because you got much cheaper operating costs per mile. So cap and trade, very interesting, great, complicated, um, um, but it's going to have an impact on us and it's going to be overall a very positive impact. So that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks for joining us. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcast. 